Hi, and welcome to the 37th Womanthology podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton, and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas, and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. The theme of the show today is the gender pay gap. I'll be joined by Denise Wilson, OBE, Chief Executive of the FTSE Women Leaders Review, who shares the latest developments from the review. As ever, Inesh Santos, our Associate Editor, will be sharing the details of the news stories in the written issue. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling any details on the front page of our website, that's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We have Denise Wilson, OBE, who is Chief Executive of the FTSE Women Leaders Review, formerly the Hampton Alexander and before that the Davis Review. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing, Denise? Thank you very well, and I'm delighted to be here speaking with you today, Fiona. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Are you able to share a bit about your background with us to give the listeners a sense of a bit more about you? Yeah, sure. I'm a modern languages graduate from Hull University who didn't really know quite what to do at the end of my degree and ended up in insurance. And from there, went on to work for British Gas and in the oil and gas industry, initially looking at insurance and risk, and then ran... uh, some of their operations and had a really great career in the post-privatization period of British Gas when they were buying up assets in South America. I was able to use my language and spent then the next 20-25 years in the oil and gas and utility industry working latterly for National Grid and at one point was the most senior woman there and set up their women's network. Following which when I left, I started a plural career and joined the Davies Steering Group in 2010 as a woman who had grown up in British business over the last few decades and had a few what I call stars and scars and stripes maybe as to how it was to be a senior woman in British business then and to talk about some of the barriers and the problems that women faced and some of the opportunities of bringing more women through into business leadership. So you've been with the review, as we know it now, in various different guises right from the start. I have. I started as a member of the steering group as an advisor at the Davies Review, which was set up in 2010. From then on, a couple of years later, we recognised we needed a proper machine and a driver of progress rather than just a, a collection of executives who would come together from time to time. So I took on the role in 2013-14 as Chief Executive of the Davies Review. Then it was very focused on just boards and women on boards for the FTSE 350 and then later continued in that same capacity as Chief Executive in the Successor Review, the Hampton Alexander Review, at which point the scope was expanded to include leadership. And we're now in our third phase, which is called the FTSE Women Leaders Review looking at both leadership and boards and how we increase the number of women on boards and in leadership roles and have just announced an expansion of scope again, which I can touch on later. Well, excited to hear about that. And if we were trying to imagine you day to day in your chief executive role, what sort of things are we imagining you doing? 
Well, it's very varied, actually. And sometimes I'm fixing the soju coffee and other times I'm talking to chief executives and chairs of FTSE 100 companies about what they need to do and how they can support and help bring women through in their organisation. It is very varied. A lot of our time is spent with stakeholders, with senior leadership in big company, investors, search firms, headhunters. We have good support from government. So government provide us, the Department of Bays and the Department of Qualities provide us with that analysis, with secretariat support and with policy advice. So we speak to them. But basically, it's like running a campaign where on a daily basis, there's always something to do, somebody to talk to. And this journey that we've been on in the UK for the last 10 years has been a journey of a million and one small conversations, sometimes big conversations, actually, but making small steps with individual leaders. And leaders, stakeholders are persuaded largely on a one-on-one basis. But clearly, we speak at conferences and events and publish our report every year. So six months of the year is all about publishing the report, gathering the data and persuading companies to share their data in a standard format with us. And then obviously writing the report and launching the report. And the other six months of the year are around, well, where next and getting our key messages out. And each year we've continually raised the bar as to what good looks like. So the conversation has changed and the expectation of British business has changed every year. So the year split into two halves, really, but it's face to face, influencing, talking about what works, supporting business along this journey because it's tough and hard and it's not as easy as any of us thought. And I think most businesses want to be moving things forward, don't they? It's very few that just don't care and just aren't bothered. Yeah, I think that's right. It didn't start that way, but I guess that's a sign of progress and progress comes in many forms, not just in the increased number of women in leadership and board roles every year, but it's also the very changed nature of the conversation. There's a few companies in every single sector. And interestingly, it isn't a sectorial issue. We have star performers in mining extractives, heavy industry, and we have very poor performers in high street retail and financial services so sector doesn't matter what matters most is the leadership but I think you're right that most leaders today have their heads lifted on this subject and understand that it's important that it's important that they look like they're in touch that their workforce reflects the population at large and particularly in many industries over half of the workforce are now under the age of 30 and this subject gender equality, racial equality, climate change, these are issues that really matter to that generation. And the leaders, those right at the top, need to be paying some attention. And you mentioned the importance of the face-to-face interactions, but obviously we're just hopefully coming out of the other side, we hope, of COVID. But how's COVID impacted on the work of the review? Well, I think we were nervous at the beginning as to how it was going to play out in terms of the work of the review we did initially delay one of the reports by four or five months just until we quite understood where we were and to give business a little bit of breathing space in terms of submitting their data and of course as we've seen in many of the stats women have been overrepresented in furlough numbers and in redundancies I think of the 15 million people who were on furlough during two years then 52 percent of those were women and yet women make up only 48 percent of the workforce so 
clearly there are issues there that are going to play out over future years and organizations need to watch very carefully and make sure that they are supporting the recovery of many, many factions of the workforce that have been disproportionately impacted by COVID. Women and those with caring responsibilities are certainly right up there. But we have also been really encouraged to see the percentage of women has continued to increase year on year. There has been no dip in progress. The turnover has been largely health in those leadership roles as well. So we're not seeing slowdown in terms of progress, but I, I do think that organisations will need to work very hard to make sure that they don't lose those hard-won gains of past years, because there is a lot of stress in many employees, and this has been tough on many, particularly on women. And we've touched upon the previous incarnations of the reviews, but there's been significant progress. You know, the progress has been phenomenal. I think if I look back to 2010, we expected gradual evolution. If at all this was going to be successful, weren't sure whether the UK would need to introduce legislation and quotas, fine and penalty regimes, as many other European countries have done. We had no idea whether this would work or not. And at the time in the FTSE 350, there were 152 all-male boards. So almost half of the boardrooms of Britain had not a single woman in them. Um, and I think it's quite easy to imagine those smoke-filled rooms with heavy mahogany furniture and portraits of senior men all around them. And that was very much the atmosphere. It's changed dramatically in just a decade. So now four or five women around the table is more commonplace for a, a FTSE 350 company. And as I said, the bar raises every year. And we watched that 152 number every year come down until there were none. And then, of course, we started to shine a unflattering spotlight on those companies that had just one woman on the board so what we call our one and done boards and at one point just a few years ago there were around 80 of those but now there's half a dozen if that and these are all great signs of progress it's what good looks like in terms of gender balance in leadership in terms of corporate governance in terms of inclusion has changed dramatically year on year and I just stick with boards. In 2010, there was just 9% women on FTSE 350 boards. And today there's 37%. Well, if I go back to that analogy, the image of the boardroom, I think you can imagine how different it would feel to sit at those boards today compared to a decade ago. And in speaking to some of those most hesitant chairs of a decade, and clearly many of them have now moved on and we have seen significant change in leadership at the top but some are still there and they will say the conversation the governance the debate the decision making has all changed so much for the better in having diverse perspectives and inputs around the table versus uh, the all-male comparison so I'm not hearing anybody say they'd love to go back so I guess that in itself the game is a, a sign of of great progress but look we've got much more work to do too the leadership layer that is probably the 50 to 100 most senior jobs below the board women's representation is somewhere around 30 32 percent that journey started late the focus and the drive for women started in 2016 so it's going on a slightly later trajectory to boards but still we've got a way to go one in three women in leadership is not gender balance and why when 50 percent of our graduate leavers almost 50 percent of the workforce are women are we not seeing more of them come through to the very top roles so that is 
the work of this next period, this next phase, to make sure that we are bringing gender balance somewhere around 40%, somewhere between 40 and 60% women and men in those leadership roles. There was a pause of the enforcement of the mandatory gender pay gap reporting during the pandemic, but then that was unpaused, if you like. So I think a lot of organisations are still feeling the effects of that at the moment. Is that fair to say? Yeah, look, I, I think it is. I think the pause in gender pay gap reporting was unhelpful. However, the reason we have a gender pay gap in those leadership roles is largely because there are insufficient women in the top most powerful, highly paid roles in companies. So part of the solution to the gender pay gap is fueling and increasing representation. The beauty of the review is that in tracking just 350 companies, and we are just about to expand that, which I can touch on too, but in tracking 350 of the UK's arguably most important companies, we're able to have some very targeted reporting. There's red, amber, green status. You can see who's going who's making moves, who's making progress, and you can see who's going very slowly or who's going nowhere at all. And that is the beauty of the data-led approach. Gender pay gap reporting, because it encompasses many more companies, i.e. around 12,000 companies, in the aim to catch not just the very big companies, but the smaller companies, then the individuals, so what of all of that, can get a little bit lost. And I think that's probably the next generation move for gender pay gap reporting. So there is more visibility on which companies are making progress and what they're doing about it and not. And the data-led approach that by company and in the aggregate year-on-year reporting, year-on-year drumbeat of how many companies are moving forward, how many are standing still. The red, amber, green against the all-male executive committees, the all-male boards of the past. That has really driven progress because this matters reputationally to companies and particularly to those leaders of the board or those chief executives that are in charge. They want this to reflect well and to be seen to be doing something as well as in practice actually making progress too. What gets measured gets done, I think we say quite often. Absolutely. (laughs) And the FTSE Women Leaders Review recently published a new report. What were the high level findings of that and what were the recommendations? Well, I think that there's been really great progress, really strong progress that the voluntary business data-led approach has worked well for us, has worked well both at board and at leadership level. But there's a way to go yet. And this job is not done until men and women are equally represented around the top table and women and anybody, frankly, who presents differently to a senior white male in business is able to achieve their full potential. And if they want, can get right to the top. And we know for sure that's not the case right now. One of the key findings of the report, and it's a consistent theme, is that around Two-thirds of all available roles in the year, both on boards and in leadership, go to men. So women are only being appointed into one of three available roles in the year. And there is no shortage of competent, capable women, keen and ready to take on leadership roles. The supply of capable women is full to overflowing. The issue is they don't get picked in the same numbers as their male colleagues and we need to level that up. And you mentioned an expansion of scope as well could you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so I think what has been successful is the ripple effect so far in targeting very clearly just the FTSE 350. Businesses large and small, other sectors, be it public sector, be it charitable sector, be it arts, education, are alerted to the work of the review and the progress and generally in business what good looks like. At first it was 25% with the Davis review, then it was 33%, now it's 40 percent plus with the FTSE Women Leaders Review and I think that has got great traction that is what is expected around here in businesses large and some small businesses however in expanding that scope out slightly without going too broad as for this not to matter for, for companies not to feel accountable then we aim to capture those that are not publicly listed so the big private companies of which in this year we will target just 50 to begin with and some of those are huge employers they employ over 100,000 people in the UK and it feels about time to expand the scope in a conservative way and bring those companies into the reporting as has happened on the corporate governance code and the weights principles and other governance issues the expectations on private companies are now not terribly dissimilar i.e large private companies to those of public listed companies and that's what we're seeking to address so exciting program we shall observe that with interest uh and there's recently been a call on uk government by the british chambers of commerce made uk the institute of directors confederation of british industry and all of the 53 accredited chambers of commerce to stop using the word chairman or chairman if i pronounce it normally why is language so important here? One of the big issues that we're still struggling with, and we have gradually got to a core of really quite complex, quite difficult issues to break down on this subject, is a unhelpful set of myths and gender stereotyping that abounds on women, women's preferences, what kind of jobs women should be in or shouldn't be in, what they're good at. And, you know, both men and women carry around unhelpful gender stereotypings that can impede their progress or impede the progress of others around them. Language is just one of the things that can exacerbate that gender stereotyping. It's hard enough to alter people's perceptions even when there's gender neutral language, such as a chief executive, we talk about a chief executive, yet I guess if you asked 20 people at random, what do you think a chief executive looks like? Very few of them would say a woman who's five foot and of Asian origin. And so language just adds to the barriers and the problems. And that's why it's important. Police officer, firefighter, no longer do we talk of those roles in gendered terms. And I think that's very helpful. And chairman seems to be one of the last bastions that has not been addressed and, in my view, does need to be addressed. Language changes over time and language should be updated to reflect how it's changed over time. And it matters. It's important and it reflects reality. And quite excitingly, we've got the a transparency pilot that's been announced on International Women's Day. Will be very interesting to see how that plays out as well. There is plenty more to do and I think that's in part the beauty of adopting a voluntary business-led approach in the UK. 
we haven't gone for a tick box compliance legislation thou shalt approach and we've had to work very very hard to understand the complex and compounding barriers that not just women anybody who presents differently to a senior white male and that has stood us in really good stead because and I believe we'll ultimately create more sustainable change because we have had to listen. We have had to understand what's happening. We have had to really start to address some of those barriers and are now working on the really hard stuff, behaviours, culture. And once we make good progress there, and I firmly believe that increasing women's representation helps with culture, that starts to feed a more inclusive environment then we're well on the way to this becoming sustainable in its own right and not needing to have reviews and quotas and reporting and targets. It just becomes very much the norm to have men and women at the top and for men and women to be being picked in equal numbers and doing the picking in equal numbers. We've got people listening who are really interested in getting to board level or getting to senior level. So whether that's within the FTSE 350 or the next tranche or, or wherever or even below that. So one of the things that I do, for example, is I'm a patient governor at my local NHS hospital trust. And that's incredibly interesting, informative and the amount of experience that you can get just by doing something like that or by being a governor in a school or something like that, what would your advice be to people who are looking to get more experience? I think that can be incredibly helpful and it can be a big boost in terms of understanding your skill set and what you have in your toolkit by going on another board or just operating in a very different environment to the company and the culture that you've become used to in your workplace. I would say to women, understand what you want, where you want to go, what you're looking to achieve, what job you want next and say it loud and say it often. And I think way too many times, and I would be a culprit of this myself if I look back on my career, I just assumed that my boss knew I was ambitious and wanted to get on and wanted the top job. And that wasn't the case, actually. People were quite confused about what I wanted. And when I pulled that apart afterwards on reflection, I very rarely probably said that. And this is often what our male counterparts are doing. They're very clear about their career and the next move and what they want. And often women are too, but I'm not sure that they say it with the same robustness or the same frequency as their male counterparts. So I think that helps networking is phenomenally important and I mean structured networking as well as unstructured networking both matter and both hugely fuel the careers of men and men do it very naturally from a very young age are supportive of one another and I think for the benefit of their own careers for the benefit of their organization and actually the UK economy and I think there is something to learn in how that works with women too so go as far and wide as you can hang on to people that have been your supporters in the past and build your external network as well as your internal network because both of those are important I suppose there's something about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable so the idea of if you're at university even join a society or become a president of a society or something like that but you're used to operating at that level from a from an early stage in your career Yes, I think that's absolutely right. I think any of those leadership roles are very helpful, not only in terms of great things to put on your CV, but as you say, you're chairing a governance board, a school committee, or whatever. 
charity you're able to understand the skills that you have as well it brings those into really sharp focus which is helpful but it also gives you some skills to take elsewhere too i'd like to see young women be more vocal be more visible about what they like what they don't like what they want in the workplace i often used to say to some of the women that worked in my team you always look so happy when you get a pay rise and you say thank you and often your counterparts your peers are not doing the same so I would like to encourage younger women to think more about themselves and be less, just slightly less grateful and loyal to their organisations because it's understanding your own worth and being confident. Write things down as well. So when you've learned something or you've done something of significance, keep a note of these things because it's amazing how easy it is just to forget that you've learned something amazing or you've got this skill that you've used. You can. I think that's really important. And I get back to what I said. I keep saying it because you think, well, I said that once. I said that six months ago. I said I wanted to work abroad. I wanted this next job. But people forget or the time might not be quite right. And I think it's important to keep that dialogue going and make sure that everybody around you knows that you're ambitious for something next. And how can Womanthology listeners and readers support the work of the review? I think we have great followership now, which has been really, really helpful. But we need everybody to be spreading the word. I do still talk to many people who say, well, I didn't really know that we were doing anything in the UK. I didn't really understand that there was a formal campaign, a formal review in play. And so spreading the word is really important. And Looking at your own company and using your own voice, getting these messages out, being bold, being prepared to talk about this subject, be accountable on it and bring others with you. And it takes quite a lot of time and effort to persuade some people on the topic. But once they are persuaded, once you start to talk in terms of you would support fairness, wouldn't you You'd support everybody? having a fair and equal chance in the workplace, then people go, oh, I get this. So it's not just about women. It's about something much more important than that that really matters to me. So bringing people with them and being out there, flying the flag, I guess, for more women at the top of British business is what we need. We need everybody to be talking about this, not just a few of us. And that's what women and men actually can do to help. For our part, what we will do is keep following the issues. So anything that you want to share, then please do let us know. The other thing I would say when women or whoever are looking to progress in their careers, follow these issues. When you get the bit at the end of the job interview, when they say, have you got anything you want to ask us? What a brilliant question to ask. Well, actually, what are you doing in this regard? What's the organisation doing? I love giving that back to people at job interviews. I think that's right. That's really important. Look, many people have not yet woken up that understanding, recruiting, retaining, managing, promoting a gender diverse team is a core competency and modern day leader attribute. Many people, including some of our leaders, have not yet realized that. But actually, it is a modern day leadership skill that many have got, many are acquiring, many are on the way to acquiring. But we've got a way to go there for this to become the same training need, the same understand as say finance for non-financial managers course. Or, but it is the equivalent. It's a core competency now if you have aspiration to be a leader in the organization. And not enough people are 
understanding the issue and it's complex it's complicated and you need to have like any topic you can talk with much more confidence when you've spent a little bit of time reading and researching the subject and we just need more people reading and researching and being able to speak confidently we will keep sharing the news thank you (laughs) it's a pleasure and it's great to have this opportunity to chat with you because I think it really brings it to life for people as well for people who maybe aren't aware of it every day or it's not on their radar all the time so I think if we can make it front of mind for people then that's how we keep things progressing and Denise what is coming up next for you what are you excited about and it can be in work or out of work Well, the winter's always a pretty tough time for us because we gather all the information and do the report. And we just published our report at the end of February for 2022. So I'm looking forward to a summer of things being a little bit lighter and hopefully in a post-COVID or almost post-COVID environment, being able to have a little bit more freedom than we've seen in the past. But I'm just looking forward to more progress on our work over the next four to five years and by the time we've moved the dial on that we are starting to see good gender balance we all know what gender balance looks like and when it feels right and when it doesn't and that this is just becoming a very normal acceptable part of our day-to-day business and at that point I can take to my rocking chair and sit back and look and say that was a long hard but good journey and actually we have made great progress and what a great legacy that would be for all of us who've been involved in this to for the next generation because things need to be much fairer much more equal for those coming on behind us well i think that's a fantastic place to leave it's denise wilson thank you so much for your time today it's been a great pleasure speaking with you i really enjoyed it thank you for asking to join me in this conversation and be good wish. Hello, my name is Ines Santos. I am the Associate Editor of Womanfology and I am here to tell you all about our new gender pay gap issue. The stories include Nikki Pound, women's officer at the TUC, explains about Women's Pay Day and how women in the UK do not get paid for 56 days of the year relative to men. She also encourages companies to take action and be proactive in stating what their plans are to fix their gender pay gaps. Helen Wilson, Chief Operating Officer of Atom Bank, tells us about how last year they became the largest company in Britain to introduce a four-day working week as they feel this is the next stage in evolving work practices. Helen shares how this led to a 500% rise in applications for job openings at the bank, which also increased the level of diversity in applicants. Dr. Debbie Weeks-Bernard, London's Deputy Mayor for Communities and Social Justice, tells us about the initiatives in place in the Greater London Authority Group to eradicate gender pay gaps, including a trailblazing menopause support policy to bust taboos and ensure a comfortable and supportive working environment for all staff experiencing menopause. Finally, Baroness Stedman Scott, the Women's Minister, explains the government's new pay transparency pilot announced on International Women's Day. 
When salary information is not clear on job ads, this impacts how people negotiate and causes more inequality in their earnings, affecting women and other minority groups in particular. Do check out our website, womanfology.co.uk, to read the full stories. And that is all from me. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also follow the show. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show on your podcast app. Join us for the next episode where we'll be meeting a new batch of the most switched on women in technology.